If you have challenges or you're super stressed, you may think that those are the problem, but they're not. It's really about having the tools and the capacity to overcome those challenges. It's about developing resilience. Now, I'm talking today to one of the most resilient people that I've ever met. He's the former American Gladiator, Dan Nitro Clark. I'm Sarah Heiner, and thank you for joining the Bottom Line Advocator podcast. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. And I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dan Nitro-Clark. He was an NFL football player, an American gladiator, and he was a picture of health and fitness until, at the age of 49, he had a heart attack and his world turned upside down. Having hit the bottom and pulled himself back, Dan is now coaching people to be their best in all areas of their lives. He's the author of the powerful book, F Dying, How Cheating Death Kicked My Ass Into Loving, Learning, and Living My Best Life. You can learn more about Dan and all that he does at dannitroclark.net. Dan, thank you for being here. I'm so delighted to talk to you. Hey, Sarah, you know what? I'm ecstatic to be here, and uh, thank you for that great introduction at uh, it's, uh, I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's get this started. All right. Well, you know, you and I were introduced by mutual friends, and you know, you wrote this incredible book. And what really struck me when you and I spoke was that you have had to bounce back from really horrible hardship—not just your heart attack, which had you saying, "I want to die," but multiple times in your life. You are the picture of what I'll call resilience. And I think that we have a crisis in this country on resilience, that people are getting stuck, they've got, they think they've got problems, they think they've got stress, and they don't know how to bounce back. So they're self-medicating drugs, alcohol, food, you name it, c- killing themselves. And all they need to know is the Dan Nitro formula of you can get over this. So that's what I want to talk about today, all right? Yes, absolutely. Let, let's jump right in. Okay, so let's start with the story of you know what what really was the catalyst to your absolutely changing your entire life, which was the story of your heart attack. Picture of health, American gladiator, NFL football player, big hunky, healthy picture of health, and there you were on a gurney. What the heck? Yeah, so I want to first uh, thank you by saying hunky. <laughs> <laughs> I watched those important. old videos of you. <laughs> I, still have, I still have a little ego left. So, I, you know, look, my, my whole life, I, my identity has been dedicated to health and fitness. You know, as you said, I was on TV for years. Uh, I was a professional athlete. I'm a health and fitness expert. And that's how I identified myself. And then uh, December 18th, uh, when I was 49, five years ago, uh, I was working out in the gym, doing something I did every single day of my life, and I started to feel this chest pain. And... At first, I just laughed it off, mistake number one. And I kept working out, kept working out. And finally, Sarah, I had to drop to a knee because this, the pain that felt like a pinch suddenly started to feel like an elephant was stepping on my chest and I could not catch my breath. So I hobbled to the back of the gym and I sat in a chair and I was sweating uh, profusely, like just in a cold sweat. And I was still trying to understand and self-diagnose because I thought a heart attack would be the last thing that would happen to me. And it wasn't until sitting there, chest pain, cold sweat, shortness of breath, 
did I, I didn't become worried until I looked down at my left arm and I was unconsciously or subconsciously shaking my left arm. And at that moment, Sarah, I said, oh my God, that's the sign of a heart attack. But I still couldn't believe it was happening to me. Couldn't be you. you. I, I did. What? Couldn't be you. Yeah, it couldn't be me. You right. know, I lived my whole life. A heart attack happened to the guy who, you know, was stressed at work, to the guy, the girl who was, you know, uh, overweight, uh, it, it, the person who didn't exercise. It didn't happen to healthy people who were in the upper one percentile of, you know, health in, in their age group. So cutting a, a long story short, the next thing I know, I'm in the emergency room and the doctor is telling me, after he's done the test and uh, he's telling me, look, you, you've had a heart attack. It took you about an hour and a half to get here. And he says to me, uh, and, I, and I wanted to know, you know, I, because I had a terrible chest pain now, and I wanted to know this one question. And I asked him, and I said, am I going to die? And I asked this question looking for reassurance. And instead I got, you've had a heart attack for three hours. Um, I don't know. We'll do the best we can. Ouch. And in that moment, I feel like I got the answers to the test of life before the test. Because in that moment, things that seemed so important in my day-to-day -day life suddenly became unimportant. What mattered to me most was two things. One was I wanted the people closest to me that I loved closest to me. And I wanted those people that I loved to know that I loved them. Nothing else mattered. I didn't care about my, the big house on the hill, the German cars in the driveway, the vacation homes. I didn't care about the plaque on the walls. And based upon that moment when I did not know if I was going to live or die, I completely rebuilt my life, knowing now what was most important to me. So at that moment in time, because this was your entire identity had been about your health and your fitness and your strength. And one would argue, and we know that a lot of people after heart attacks go into depression, they get afraid to be physically active, et cetera. So rather than wander through that piece, you, and, and I'll call it, have a grieving session of the loss of your history. You just leapt straight over to... I no, 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 sir. I did. I, hey, I, I did wear spandex, but I'm not Superman. I, I <laughs> the, the next day in the hospital after they, they put a stent in, and, and uh, uh, the next day in the hospital, uh, like you said, my entire belief of who I was was shattered. And I remember lying in the hospital that next day saying, if I could not live life on my own terms, then I wanted to die. And I fell into a mini depression. And I kept asking myself after this, you know, personal tragedy happened to me, I kept asking myself, why me, why me? And that led to that downward spiral. But it wasn't until I cried a good bout of tears in, you know, that, that feeling sorry for myself did an answer come to me. And that was after, you know, I wept and wept and I, I couldn't cry any more tears. And in the silence, I just had this idea, instead of saying, why me? I started to ask myself, what can I be? 
And that shift of at, from why me to what can I be given the circumstances, that shift and that question completely changed my outlook. So I, I started to come up with answers when I asked a better question given the circumstances. And I said, well, you know, I can be, I can be someone who could take a personal tragedy and turn it into a gift of inspiration for others. I could be someone who shows people how to bounce back, how good life could be after a heart attack. And I found three words, three words that pushed me through the anxiety, that pushed me through the doubt, that pushed me through the fear. And those three words are words that I share with a lot of my clients because we can't always choose the path we're gonna walk in life, but we can always choose how we can walk it. And those three words I promised myself, I said, I, no matter what happens to me, no matter if I die tomorrow, no matter if I don't get my life back, I'm going to handle this with grace, dignity, and positivity. I'm gonna be the most graceful heart attack person you, you know, you've ever seen. I'm gonna handle this with dignity. I'm gonna be the most positive guy. And I have those words plastered in front of my computer so I see them every day to remember how I want to walk the path of my life. So this is, I think this is so big because I think, again, in my opening, I talked about that. I think that the, the world, the country, civilization is having a problem working through that pain, right? So that they have a problem. They had a heart attack. They got fired from their job. Whatever the issue is that they're struggling with and suffering with, that they're not working through to the other side. In a little bit, I want to talk about some of the strategies that you, know, you went through, the, the triggers and the, and the holdbacks on people. But how long did you let yourself cry and go through that pain? Because the pain is part of the process and part of the, the facing the new lessons in life, right? So, and a lot of people don't want to face that. So how long did you let yourself and did it take to get through this? So the, the pain for me was, I, I processed it quickly that next day. You know, I have something, I, I believe in learned optimism. Right. And it's something I've trained my life to be an optimist. Uh, and just the idea that I said I wanted to die was so against everything I believe. So the pain, uh, I processed quickly. Now, the fear is something that I have with me until this day. They're two very different things. And I think the pain we feel from losing somebody, from death, uh, is a different type of grief, at least it is for me, than it is for a personal tragedy, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, my mother, died, my mother right. died 15 months ago of cancer, and I still have sadness and grief in my heart for her, and I still work on processing that. My yeah, older brother died different. in my arms when I was 10, he was 12, he was electrocuted, he was my hero, he was my rock, and I've processed that pain you know, over the last 40 years, and I still, I, I can't, even now I think about him, I still get emotional. But for personal pain, I've never let it last that long. I've just pushed through it because it seems like something I'm more in control of, if that makes sense. It, it does. I mean, and again, some of it, though, may be just what your makeup is, right? Because not everybody has that personal strength. Did you do it alone? Was it you in the, in the aloneness of your hospital bed? Or did you have friends, family, clergy, anybody that was coming in to talk through these things? So I believe support is uh, absolutely beneficial. 
100% beneficial. I think we need support, but you don't have to have support because at the end of the day, it is a personal journey, right? On what you define for yourself. So again, the first step for me was changing the question, why me to what can I be given the circumstances? And then I said, okay, what can I control today? Again, grace, dignity, positivity, I control how I can control I want to appear in the world. And then what can I control about my recovery? And my first day home from the hospital, I set a goal for myself. And that goal, and this is what I could control, that goal was to walk downstairs from my bedroom to my kitchen, walk 22 steps downstairs, and touch the refrigerator and not die. This was a man, I'm a man who set a goal, you know, to win an Oscar, to play in the NFL, to, you know, have a New York Times bestseller. I think, you know, those are the goals I had set for myself. And that day, when I walked downstairs and I touched that refrigerator, I have to tell you, it was one of the most um, triumphant experiences that I've had. And each day, when you're making a comeback, I would extend my reach just beyond my grasp. Meaning the second day, I said, okay, I'm going to walk downstairs and touch my mailbox and not die. The third day is I'm going to walk over across the street and touch my neighbor's gate. The fourth day was I'm going to walk to the end of the street. The fifth day it was I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. And each day I made just a little bit of progress. I didn't get stuck in that gap between where I was and where I hope I would go. And that did not cause me an action. I think that's a place where a lot of people get stuck. Yeah, I think that they said big goals. So let's, I mean, again, you're you're like superhuman, right? And I do the same thing. Like, I'm done, I just ran this 10K last week, which to me, I might as well have trade for an ultra marathon for as big a deal out of that I made out of the <laughs> stupid 10K. But for me, it was huge. And I always, whenever I would run, like just from the my years in sports, I'd get to the end, I could be dying, but I'm still going to kick it in the end, right? That that's just the way that I'm programmed. That's the way you're programmed. But the so let's though help because not everybody is that well, way. Not everybody's, well, 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 God. Sarah, I, I will say this to you. You said, oh, it's only a 10K. I know some of your listeners are struggling just to get out of bed. Yes. Right? Yes. And I work with people who really, really struggle in different areas, and they're so stuck. Yeah, and, and I think we have to leave the negative talk behind. I think we, I think we need to start to pat ourselves on the back for the things we are accomplishing. Yes. You know what I mean? And you, so, so I would say to you, Sarah, you did a 10K. You're not someone that runs. That's amazing. And it was but at altitude. It was at altitude, right? It, I think it's Colorado. So <laughs> it was. What, 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 what we're so often we're doing, you know, what I, I call this, I call it, I say comparison is the thief of joy because we compare our achievements not to the average human being. You compare your running to someone who's doing a 100-mile run, so your run doesn't feel like anything. You're, you compare your wealth to someone who's a billionaire, so your wealth doesn't feel like anything. And we keep doing this to ourselves, and we're not celebrating the human beings that we are. And this leads to anxiety, this leads to apathy, this leads to depression. So I just wanted to throw that. And I also no. want to say, when you talked about um, having somebody I, with you in the journey back, I believe that transparency will lead to transformation because too many times we fight silent battles. 
you smile for everyone. And, I, and you're probably as guilty as I am as, uh, of this era, is we smile for everybody, but sometimes we're dying inside. But people can't fix what they do not face. Exactly. Right. And they're, and they're stuck and they don't know where to start. So that's a perfect, we didn't even rehearse this. You did it perfectly. Let's, let's, let's help people try to figure out like what the steps are. What are the issues that they have to overcome? Because again, you're a fighter. I'm a fighter. We're both competitors, but there are a whole lot of people. They get smacked in the face with whatever it is. And then they stuck, they're stuck and they don't know they, they don't have the drive to do it. And your book talks about a number of things that help people overcome their, their challenges. Um, and I think one of them, you just mentioned it. So let's start with, I'll call it self-doubts and self-loathing, um, where you just don't see it in yourself. You just don't like, if I can't be this, I don't believe in myself. I'm a loser. I've always thought of myself as a loser. My parents always called me a loser. And I'm done. So Right. right? So, yeah, that's that's negative self-talk. So I want to address something you said in the beginning. You said, "What holds people back from overcoming challenges?" Let's do this in bite-sized pieces. So that that's a big question, right? Well, yeah. And I, I, I and I'm sure I am sure of this. What holds people back from overcoming challenges are two main things, and this is 99% of the problem. One, you're afraid of what people will think. That is the biggest thing. That's why you don't take steps forward. And two, the sister or brother to that is the fear of failure. That's at the bottom of almost 99% of, of overcoming challenges and being stuck. And you don't think that some of it is they don't even know. Like, I think there are a lot of people, if I ask them, unless they're lying to me, if you ask them, what do you want? Right, what would your next step be? If you didn't, if money wasn't a factor, what would you do with your life? And they can't answer yeah. it, right? They don't, they well, don't, uh, they can't identify uh, okay. so that they don't know how to get from here to there. Or are they secretly well, so afraid they're afraid to be honest about it? I'll say, uh, I'll say two things. Um, I think uh, people, I, I, especially as we get a little bit older, I'm 55 years old uh, last week, as we get a little bit older, You're so young. I think, I think our dreams change. I think when you're younger, you dream of success, you dream maybe of fame, you dream of different things. But as, as we get older, people's ambitions have changed and they can't point to one thing. But what we really want is inner peace, connection, meaning, fulfillment. So that's what we want. But we were raised in a culture that made us think that getting that was getting the corner office, getting the nicer car, getting the second home, getting a home. You know, we, we, so our paradigm has shifted to, to, from what we thought would make us happy. And I know, you know, you're, you're, you're very successful and I'm successful, but that did not fulfill me, just having that external success. Right. So. I think that's a lot of times where people are getting stuck when you ask people what they want, they don't know because what they really want is inner peace, connection, uh, meaning, fulfillment. And that, and that is the, the, the group that creates happiness. Because truthfully, anything you want to learn how to do, you're a Google search away in this hyper-connected world, right? You want to write a book? Right. Boom. You want, you want to start a business? Boom. You just Google search it. But they still don't think they're right? good enough. 
They don't think they've got the skills. Their fourth grade teacher told them they'll never be able to write. You know, Fred Astaire got told that he couldn't dance. He could sing. You know, can't, can't, oh, sorry, can't sing, can dance a little. Right? Um, what's his name? Tom right, so, Brady. So, so right? we, play, we, we, play negative, we play negative scripts in our head from things that we've learned, and they become ingrained in us. Yes. I, I agree 100%. So how do you break free of that? Uh, it takes courage. It takes courage. It takes the ability to do things when you don't want to, when you don't feel like it, when you're afraid. The whole key to success, the whole key to becoming unstuck is first recognizing that this is a fear and two, getting yourself to take action when you have all those feelings. And I think people, when I just say this to them and they say, oh, okay, you feel this too. Sarah feels it too. Most people feel this. I, I saw Michael Phelps the other day at this place and we were talking about it. And he said, oh yeah, he had these same feelings as well. These, someone who has 20 Olympic medals. And I think once we find that human connection and, that, and that, that bond that connects us all, we realize we're all in this together, that we all struggle. And the way out is the same for everyone, if that makes sense. Well, it does. It does to me. And I think also you made the comment about you know, the, the um, perception that we all have to, we are what we are, right? So we are what our job, we are what we wear, we are where we live versus the deep down, um, you know, heartfelt aspects of humanity, right? They always say on your deathbed, you always wish that you, you know, you did no one wishes they worked more on their deathbed. They always wish they spent more time with their family. Um, there's something in right. your book, a concept which I loved. You talked about the Japanese broken pottery. Um, and what's it called? Kintsugi? Is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Kintsugi. And yep. I love this perception because again, we are trained in this country to be perfect. And I'll describe it. You can correct me, okay? Um, so in this concept in the book that you talked about is that they they repair these broken pottery with gold, um, and they repair the cracks with gold. So it, in fact, highlights it, and it becomes this beautiful patina of part of life's process. Versus being broken, it becomes a celebration of the evolution in some ways, right? It's a total flip on a break. And I love yes, that. that, that that's right. It, it, so it, it's often, it's an artwork, and it's often more valuable than the original. So I think the whole perception flip, like you're saying, and this touched me too. I am half Japanese, and I was born in Japan. Uh, so this really touches a place deep inside of me, is that we need to find beauty in the places that we are broken. One of my favorite Hemingway quotes is, the world breaks everyone, and some become strong at the places they are broken. And I know that's a little esoteric, but I will tell you how it works in, in real life. I was coaching a client, a very, uh, very successful client, um, who had a stroke. And she was having a hard time recovering, and she was embarrassed, and she was having a hard time getting back to work because she spoke a little bit different. And then when she went to work, you know, she was around her people, and she was trying to hide it trying to be normal and she couldn't and it was and she, it took her a little while longer to think and so what she was doing she was looking at where she was broken and she was seeing it as a flaw and one of the key things I did to her is I said learn to see the beauty in where you're broken learn to accept yourself where you are at and instead of putting a, a strong front and trying to be who you were accept where you are now and open that up to the world and instead of you know getting confused and tongue-tied when you talk because you're putting so much pressure on yourself, take a breath in any meeting and just say, hey, 
Uh, I don't know if you know, I had a stroke a little while ago. And so I'm a little slower in my speech, but I, and I just wanted to share that with you. She started doing that in her meetings and oh my God, did the world change for her. Oh yeah. People opened their hearts back to her. They gave her empathy. They joined her and they, and most people had, oh, you know, my uncle, my friend, my sister, they had story. And what she was trying to hide and embarrassed of her became a way to connect and go deeper. And yeah. she's thriving. Oh, I love it. Well, and even so she had a stroke. So she had, I'll call it a reason that she was broken. But I think that so many of us just in our humanity, sometimes we're klutzy, sometimes we're forgetful. My kids, I've got two daughters. I promise you they are very good at pointing out every human fallacy that I have. Just saying, mom, right? You name it. You really want to wear that? You really want to drive that way? You name it. But what I've always said to them is that I'm a perfect, that makes me so human. Right. And lucky them that I'm so human and that like our our funny quirks and our isms are part of who we are. Not that I don't you know, I don't want to celebrate you know, when there are things that I can improve upon that I need to improve upon it or shift it. But to tolerate and accept ourselves in these kind of quirky things about ourselves is so important versus this self-loathing that we have. Yeah, I, I don't know the particular studies, uh, but I know there was a study done recently. I don't know if it was at Harvard or Cambridge where they uh, worked on they, they worked with people on negative self-talk versus positive self-talk, and they found that the negative self-talk didn't motivate people more. It actually hindered them from taking action. Mm-hmm. And that's the one of the things I teach is, you know, is move forward, have positive self-talk, love yourself where you're at, um, uh, understand that optimism optimism is not something you're born with that's what we, i called it learned optimism earlier but it's something like gratitude that you can learn through practice and it's a very specific skill set but once you learn the practice of optimism and designing your days so you find things that make you happy you shine a light at them on them your happiness, your quality of life, your fulfillment increases. We just haven't been trained that way. We're trained at the end of the day to look at our to-do list and say, what didn't I accomplish today? Every night of my life. (laughs) Yeah, and and then what a feeling of unfulfillment. Every day you look at, oh my God, I didn't accomplish this. And you wonder why we have anxiety. You wonder why we have depression. You wonder why suicide and, and... Anxiety and depression are, 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 the numbers are increasing like crazy, especially in, in you know, kids and, and in college. Yeah. We're taught to see what we didn't do instead of what we did do. So but do you... Once you look... Go ahead. I was going to say, so do you have exercises, again, because that's what this is all about, is helping people bounce back from this stress, anxiety, losses, whatever. Um, do you have exercises that you work with that um, that you could share one or two with, you know, that you work with your clients in terms of self-talk and how to get over that self-talk? You talked about designing yes. your day. Did- yes. So, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big routine guy. I'm a big habits guy. And a lot of times it's just instilling specific habits in people based upon what they're already doing. And I'm a big guy, and I believe you win the morning, you win the day. So how do I win the morning? My personal morning routine is I am up at 515. I'm at about 5.15, I'm creating and etching out time for myself so I can create the day. Uh, in that time, I journal. Uh, I started journaling 25, 30 years ago uh, from a book I 
Julia Cameron's book, The Morning Pages, and the first thing I do is I get up and I spill my thoughts out on a page, and as I do that for eight to 10 minutes, I craft over into what can I do today that would make the day great? And I do that because I do not want to go blindly through the day just knocking stuff off my to-do list. I want to create certain goalposts that I can hit that if I do these, I will feel good. So I'm reinforcing the feelings that I want to feel every day. Then I also meditate. This is something that changed my life dramatically when I was 14 years old. It was visualization, but since it's gone to uh, meditation. So I have this routine that I do in the morning, that I do during the day, that I do at night, that I prescribe to my clients. And it's very, very similar to those. And when you're journaling, so when you're journaling, when when people are journaling, is there, um, I'll call it a style or a focus on positive affirmations at all? Or like, if because, you know, when you journal, you can kind of do a whole vomit and you go, oh my God, today this, you know, there can be a misery in the journaling. Um, and I've yeah, done exercises. Yeah, I've done exercises where at the end of my day, I kind of reflect on what it was, and anything that didn't get accomplished or that felt bad, I literally rewrite it, so that I end I up. I love that exercise. It's a great exercise, so that you end up on a high versus on the failure. Um, yeah. So, 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 so journaling for so, so journaling the way that Julie Cameron taught the way I the way I teach it to people is there, there's one rule, and that's you cannot. Stop typing for, she, she goes 20, life that was 25 years ago, I go eight to 10 minutes. The one rule is you can't stop typing, you can't hit delete. And what most people do when they start this, they get this, oh, I don't wanna do this, why am I doing this? The gladiator guy made me do this, this sucks. But they get through that negative voice down to what is important to them that maybe they haven't expressed and dealt with. And many times I've been at the journal, you know, my big masculine self, I've been weeping. And many times that gold of stuff that I've uncovered, I put in my, my books. And, but again, I always finish it with what can I do today that would make the day great? Because one of the biggest things we want is we want control. Control makes us happy. It makes us feel fulfilled when we have some control over our destiny and the things that we're going to do. And I also meditate, exercise. So I, I have a whole list of things that I do. I think what I find Again, most people know what to do. Their biggest challenge is getting themselves to do it. So I have five or six different exercises I, I do. And I think you know, having a coach is essential, is essential. I have a coach now and I've had various coaches you know, throughout my, my, my lifetime from you know, professional football coaches to certain marketing coaches to certain things I wanna, I, I wanna work on. I think it's absolutely essential. So what are some of the things, again, because I just feel for people because I've been heavily coached as well through my life, and thank God, I'm an entirely different person as a result of having been coached. Um, but not everybody has coaches. Not everybody that's listening out there has coaches or can find great coaches because you and I both know there's some great coaches and there's some coaches that aren't always that great. Um, so what are, so journaling, did you journal after your heart attack? And that ad, like over time, you know, you start out with, why is it me? This is horrible. I, you know, who am I going to be when I'm done? And then over days and as you go through the daily iteration of just putting your heart and emotions down that you've watched, that it evolved into a different level of freedom. 
No, I didn't have my journal in the hospital. Right. Uh, that all happened in the hospital. <laughs> and that's, you right. know, hey, I, I, I'm not a religious man, right. so I won't say it was the grace of God, <laughs> right. because that's a cop-out. But I think it was the 25 years I've put into, the 30 years I've put in and dedicated my life to self-improvement. So if you had, had a, a kid who, but, if you had a heart attack but, today, tut, 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 right? If, if today you had some other life-altering event, or again, for anyone listening out there that's dealing with some issue at this moment in time. Maybe they got laid off at work and they're 55 years old and it's not so easy to find a job and they have a mortgage to pay. Maybe they came home and found their spouse cheating. Whatever it is, their world turned upside down. Um, is journaling a good exercise, again, that will help them to work through that? I'm trying to help people because they're so I, I, stuck, okay, I, Dan. I think, look, look I, let, let me say this to you. Um, I had back surgery 10 months ago, right? And I had a three-level lumbar, uh, I had two discs replaced, and, and one uh, fusion, L5 up uh, through L3-4. And after the back surgery, again, you know, crutches, couldn't walk, uh, about a month after the back surgery, uh, my right foot started to swell just a little bit. So I went to the emergency room on the vice of my surgeon, and they found that I had three blood clots in my leg. The top blood clot was near the popliteal up behind the knee, and they said it's loose. Um, uh, and, and we have to admit you right of the way and put you on this heparin. Then when they admit me, right, they do a chest scan and they say, we think you may have cancer. You have a two inch mass in your lungs. This was eight months ago. So I went through all those feelings I had with the heart attack, the anxiety, mm-hmm. the, the, the depression, the, the sadness, the grief. And for me, I went back to that same exercise. I, I meditated, I cleared, I stopped the, the science behind meditation, right? The science behind meditation is we stop the, the, the uh, fast revolutions of our brain, we slow it down so we can slow the adrenaline and cortisol dumping into our body so we can get beyond that, that anxious analytical mind down to a slower brain where we can think more clearly. So that's the first thing I did, step one. So journaling is another way you can get there and then I remember those three words. I said, you know what? I'm choosing right now in this particular moment to handle this with grace, dignity, and positivity. If I had cancer, which my mom died of at that time a year before, or six months before, then I'm gonna be the most gracious cancer person who had the most positivity. That's the way I'm gonna go. So first thing, if you're suffering from a setback, if, some, if something is like your dream is broken, you've gone through bankruptcy, you've gone through divorce, whatever it is, I say find some space and create that quietness in you. There's a great app called Insight Timer where you can look at all these different meditations. Slow that mind down so you can get to where you can start to think rationally and you're not emotional. And the second thing is choose how you want to act through this time. That's the first thing. Don't start thinking of what you want to do until you're going to choose how you're going to be during this time, right? So for me, and you could take my words, grace, dignity, and positivity. If it's a relationship, just because a relationship ends doesn't mean it has to end badly. Choose to have grace, dignity, positivity. If you are going bankrupt, which I had gone as, through as a young man, choose to handle with grace, dignity and positivity so you instead of thinking what to do right away you think of how you want to be 
once you think of how you want to be and you make the commitment, then you start to look at things that are in your control. And I go back, Sarah, to learned optimism. What can I do today that would be good, would move me forward, would make me happy? And it's that simple exercise that you create your comeback with. You do this day after day, time after time. And that is the key to making a comeback because each time you take a step towards, let's say it's financial independence if you've gone bankrupt, you become someone who's financially dependent, not to, or independent. Each time you take a step towards a workout, you become, that, and assume that identity of someone who's fit. Each time you take action when you're afraid, you become someone who uh, consumes the identity of being courageous. Does that make sense? Does that help give a path and there's a totally takeaway? Totally. And you know what? I love, love, love the word choose because you're, it's action. You're owning it, right? I can't stand the word hope. It's like one of my pet peeves in life. I always, you know, you, you sit around and hope. It's such a victim word. <laughs> and I always say that yeah. people have so much more power over their lives than they give themselves credit for, but they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. And you know, when you said choose, that just, I got tingles, right? Because that is an action, a simple action that they, you made me tingle. Um, that's a simple. <laughs> I uh, hear Sarah tingles. God, you I did. Anybody at home <laughs> I hope they did. They should have. Um, but it's yeah, such better a. Than sh- better than shingles. Yeah, that, yeah, we don't want that. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, that the concept of choosing is enormous. And I, I just. I, it, it pains me to see people stuck and self-medicating and hiding and, you know, and, and falling victim to learn, learned helplessness instead of learned optimism, right? So I just wanted to, yeah. you know, button that choose. Yeah, you know what, again, you know what I think, I, again, I, I believe this, and I said it earlier, I'm going to repeat it because I think it's worth repeating, and I believe this with all my heart, and I know it to be true. What we want is inner peace, connection, meaning and fulfillment and any step that we choose to take towards that is going to improve the quality uh, of our lives and i also know this to be true i also know that 90 percent of life and success and happiness it's all an inside game it's a mind game you know we have to face the resistance the apathy we have to face this doubt, this fear every single day. I think the thing a lot of people get wrong is, number one, they feel like they shouldn't have fear. They're like, oh, why am I afraid? You know, it, it, if it was my life's dream, if it was my purpose, I would not have to fear. I would have so much passion. Well, that's a bunch of horse crap to me. Even the most successful people, even myself, even professional athletes, CEOs I talk to, they have fear, but their ability to deal with this fear and anxiety and their tools that they have and their strategies to manage it gives them success. So that's what, what the people who are stuck do not have is the tools and the and the strategies. So and everybody feels the same thing. Well, and I think that's huge. And you mentioned Michael Phelps before, or if you could have fear, or you know that. Everybody in, in this social media world, right, where everybody thinks that their next door neighbor and their BFF is having a perfect life because of the pictures that are posted, 
and you don't see the messy closets behind it, right? So we have this bizarre right. sense of what's normal, um, but that everybody has these fears. Now, is it, how do you overcome it? Because we all have the chatter. Is it just shut up fear and choosing something else? Like I choose joy versus I choose fear. I choose I, I think there's, face I that think there's fear. I there's two parts to it, right. So one is yes, you know, what I do is I've learned when that negative voice comes up, I learn to treat it like I'm training a dog. Sit. Stay. <laughs> down fear. Sit down. down. Yeah, down. Stay. So uh, that's the one thing I've learned. I hear that negative voice, you know, like I, I had it this morning, you know, I was wanting to go do yoga and I was like, oh no, I'm tired, you know, I, I, I didn't get enough sleep, I haven't eaten, you know, I just won't go, maybe I'll go tomorrow. And I just had to say, sit down, shut up, you're going, right? So a lot of times, and it depends, again, um, how great that fear is based upon you deal with it. But each day that I will say the gladiator defeats the dragon, the beast of this negativity, doubt, fear, you gain, you gain strength and you know you have the ability to overcome it. But the mistake again is to think if I was so passionate, this is my life, life purpose, I shouldn't have it because the fear will always exist. It, it, it's when you make friends with that fear. You say, oh, this is my buddy this fear. So I, I, I started to get um, actually panic attacks for the first time in my life this year. And it was after the blood clots. And it was when I had to fly. And I've always thought panic attacks, my mom had them, you know, when she uh, at work. And I always thought it was a weakness. And I, I thought, Oh, she's weak. My mom has panic attack. She doesn't know how to control her mind. And I was sitting on a plane, I had just taken off and I was going to Mexico for a four hour flight. And I was reading a book on meditating, Sarah. <laughs> and there was <laughs> you know, a panic attack. Me, you know, I meditate every day. I'm pop, I've learned options. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I start to feel this tingle go up my legs. And I feel this, like, tingle, like my arms and legs have kind of fallen asleep. And I got this big flush of warmness. And I'm on the plane, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm dying. I've had that. I, yes. Yes. I'm having, a, I'm having a heart attack. Right. Uh, what's wrong with me? And, and I got shortness breath, and, and I started to uh, uh, sweat. Yep. And I said, this, this is me. This is somebody who has all the tools. And it came on, it came on like, like a monsoon. And I got up from my seat, and then I started getting the troubling thoughts, oh my God, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna have to turn the plane around. You know, um, I'm gonna be that guy that's gonna ruin everybody's vacation. <laughs> yep. And I started, stumbled up right. to the flight attendant. I run around to the flight attendant, I'm like, hey, I'm like, I'm like, she's like, what is it with it? I said, I have blood clots. And she's like, what? <laughs> she looks at me like I'm some, you know, maniac. Right. I said, no, 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 I've got blood clots, but I'm on medication, but I don't, I don't know what's happening to me. I, you know, I start going through all this stuff and she's like, I think you're having a panic attack. No, no, I'm not having a panic attack. This is physical, I can feel it, right. I'm not panicked. <laughs> you know, as I'm like, I was like, I'm almost shaking her. <laughs> you know, she's like, no, no, you need to, you need to drink this stuff. It has quinine in it. Yes. It's supposed to, you know, relax you and all the, and she takes me through this whole thing. Wow. And I sat back down in my seat and uh, it passed in 15 or 20 minutes, but I was convinced it was a purely a physical event that had nothing to do uh, with my mind, nothing to do with my thoughts. And I went and saw my therapist. Yes, I go to therapy. I've been going since uh, off and on since I was, you know, 28 years old. Because at the height of my success, 
when I was on the cover of TV God, I was on the Tonight Show, I had little action figures after me. I found myself having spontaneous bouts of crying. Big 240-pound wow. man driving around, billboards of him places, and I'm driving around, and all of a sudden I would just start weeping. And I, I was never a crier. And at that time, back then, I raised my hand, and I said, something's wrong, I need help. And so off and on, I go through therapy. I call them rent a friend, and I, I think it's a great thing. Uh, I pay X amount of money, and someone has to listen to me talk the whole time. I know, they can't complain about it, right? It's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I find it's beneficial to go and get up. So when I saw my therapist, and I talked to her, she said, you had a panic attack. And in that moment, a couple things happened. I was so humbled. And number two, I felt more love in my heart for my mom because I understood her struggle wasn't a weakness. And so the last, so that was uh, uh, five months ago, last five months, I really dug into what panic attacks, panic attacks are, how to stop them, and how to live a panic attack free life. Uh, <clears throat> and it's been really, really interesting. And what I, I, and I know I'm veering off on another subject, but what I realized, that what I found out panic attacks were, where it was a physical manifestation in your body to thoughts that you have of fear. And when we are afraid, we have this thing in our body that creates adrenaline and cortisol. And it's just an adrenaline dump. We get so overwhelmed by it because there's not context. The car comes at us, about to hit us. Oh my God, you know, the adrenaline pumps in our body. We squeeze the wheel. We understand that. But when we have a panic attack, we don't have contacts. So sometimes we're just sitting there. We're not even worrying, and it hits us. But you know so what? I, other things I go ahead. You know what I love though about this again, because I'll bring it back. Because it's my job. I'm going to bring it back to resilience. That there are a whole lot of people out there that are having a whole lot of panic attacks, and then they're on Xanax, and you didn't do that. You are overcoming it. You confronted it. You're trying to figure it out, and you're trying to figure out then how to get past it which is what resilient people do, versus to fall victim to it, versus to fall into that fear, that it's about what are the steps you could take, how do you look past it, how do you understand it, right? Know your enemy, and then move, move beyond it, which kudos. Well, I, I even like to take it one step further, how do I teach it? Yes, well, that's what you that's do. A, that's a true mastery. Right. Yeah, that's a true mastery. So, so, no, thank you for pointing that out. And, and you asked me if that... You know, I, I don't know if that desire is something that's innate, but I'm sure it's learned. And I learned it as a young age uh, through sports. Well, but and I think, you know, and, I, think it, I think it's also really comforting. Like it is. I mean, again, you're, some of it is the chemistry and you did learn it. And it's who you, what your makeup is, because at 10 years old, when your brother's dying in your arms, not everybody could handle it the way that you did. Um, the, but I think that also you made the point that, again, that everybody has this, no matter how big, no matter how successful. I think that if everybody, when they're dealing with their own fears, can realize that's normal. I'm not broken, right? It's just part of life. And oh, hello, friend. Sometimes it rains. Okay, today it's rainy. Tomorrow it'll be sunny. Right now I'm fearful, but I can move past it because everybody is experiencing their own version of that weather, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you move past the fear. You know, I think you act in spite of it. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm not victim important. to it now. It doesn't paralyze yeah. me at this moment in time to go, you know, I was fearful of running this race. Guess what? The minute the, the gun went off, I ran, and I ran well. Yes. Right? 
And, and it, it, what's interesting, and that's one of the techniques I teach my clients, and for some it really clicks into. So when I was, and I left this part out, when I was lying in bed and when I had that goal for the whole day of walking down the stairs after the heart attack and not dying, I just didn't pop up and do it. I was lying there and I was like, oh, I don't want to get up. I don't want to lay here. It's easier just to stay here. I had a friend call me, or I, I'm sorry, I had a friend text me, and he sent me some clips of the old American Gladiator show that I was on. And I started laughing and it cheered me up. But I noticed one thing super interesting as I started watching these clips going down memory lane. And this is true for any sporting event, like when you said, when that, when that whistle goes off, you run. You're like, okay, time to go. You forget about everything, you jump in. Every time, before every, any American Gladiator event, the referee would have this uh, countdown sequence. He would say, Gladiator ready, contender ready, three, two, one, go. And what I realized watching all those tapes was that no matter if I was ready or not, no matter if I was tired, no matter if my shoes were tied, no matter if my jock was on, when he said three, two, one, go, I went, I propelled myself into action. So what I did that morning is I did that same thing to myself. Mm. I'm lying in, there right. <laughs> in my Hollywood Hills house like a goofball, and I'm going, okay, gladiator ready, contender ready, three, two, one, go. I love and that. I used that activation energy to stand up. And then when I walked over to the stairs, I looked down, I was scared crapless because if you know anybody's had a heart attack, they say, be careful walking downstairs, don't lift up the trash, anything you do can give you a heart attack. So I got to the top of the stairs and I looked, okay, gladiator ready, contender ready, three, two, one, go. And I used this little sequence over and over again. And I give that to, and it makes people laugh too, which is good. Yeah. So it makes people laugh because they're actually saying gladiator, but it, it pushes you forward because in that moment of resistance where we know we need to do something that is good for us, that can move us forward in our life and our business and our career and our health and our relationships, that moment we feel that resistance and we hesitate and we don't act, that's where we die a tiny death. Right. So using that tool, three, two, one, gladiator ready, three, two, one, go. I use other tools like you know, the five minute rule, just sit down and go five minutes. I do use a visualization tool. Okay, visualize what it will feel like after I do it. And I use other tools like, okay, I teach other clients, just get through the door. If it's the gym, just get through the door, just get there. That's the biggest thing. So, I mean, there's a bunch of different tools that people can use. Love it. That right. I use. So, I've been going very long. I'm sorry. But, you know, you're so, this has been so interesting and I love talking about it. But there are two other things that I want to talk about real briefly because it's yes. a different side of it. I want to talk about smiling. In your book, you talk about the power of a smile. And I agree. Like, if every, I've said this on other podcasts. Like, if you just turn your lips up and start smiling, you can feel the chemical change in your body. And, I think that that's a flip side to helping people in th moving through their challenges every day. Talk about smiles for a moment. <laughs> so smiling, you know, they did a study and they studied kids, infants, and they discovered that infants smile on average 400 times a day. And they're that's sure it's not gas. Say that again? They're sure it's not gas. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's not gas. It's about four times a day on average. Uh, but when they started looking through uh, and studying adults, they found that the average adult 
study, smiles 20 to 25 times a day. And I just thought that was crazy because I know I'm a smiler. Yes. Because when you smile at somebody, there was a study done at, uh, gosh, I'll put it in, the, you can put it in the show notes, but it was in Sweden at, uh, I can't think of the name of the university. But what they found is that when you smile at somebody, there is a thing. I know I'm not sounding very scientific. There's a thing in your brain. Technical term, thing in your brain. Yeah, a thing in your brain. Yes. Yeah, I feel like it's the, it's the, what's the thing in Back to the Future? Yeah, the, the trans, uh, yeah. Yes. There's a thing in your brain, refractory, whatever, but it makes you smile back. So what I did is I wanted to see, like, you know, how many times I smiled a day. Was I like a kid? Because I see myself as a pretty positive, upbeat guy. Uh, or was I like an adult? So what I did is I went out and got a clicker, right? I got a clicker and I checked how many times I would smile a day. Now, living in Hollywood, this is kind of crazy because, you know, I didn't get any restraining orders, but you just smile at people and like, they're like, uh, what do you want? <laughs> is something wrong with you? <laughs> but I actually found out that uh, in general that I smiled, I can't remember the exact number, like 237 times a day. But that little smile has, like you said, Sarah, a physical change upon your brain. It releases feel-good hormones. And it creates this loop because when you have those feel-good hormones, you smile in return. And, you know, I know it's if you're suffering from depression or anxiety, someone just tells you to smile. Wow, it seems like a little stupid, simple thing. But the medicine that you need is these little stu- things that you may think stupid that aren't going to help. And you take that medicine of inner peace, connection, meaning, designing your days, learned optimism, shining a light on the good moments in your life. You take practicing gratitude. You take this medicine day after day. You transform your life every day by little habits done over time. I, a thousand percent. And again, focusing on the positive side as you're facing your tragedies to focus on this positive side and moving toward, I hate to sound religious in this, I don't mean it this way, but facing toward the light, right? The the lightness of life. It's beautiful. All right. So one more thing I just want to comment on because I love this. You mentioned it into your in your TED talk. Your mother had a saying that she told you all the time oh, when you were yeah. young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, my mom's Japanese. She was born in Japan. I, like I said earlier, I was born in Japan. My dad was in the military. He was a Marine. And uh, if anybody served, you know, in the military, I'm so grateful for your service and thank you for your service. I want to say that first. Agreed. Uh, my mom, after every phone conversation we had, she would say this thing to me, and it was a Japanese word, and it was ganbate, G-A-N-B-A-T-T-E, ganbate. And that means to keep your chin up and to keep going. So what I would say to all your listeners, I don't know what struggles you are having. I don't know where you're stuck, and I'm sorry that you're going through this, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. There are tools for you to start to come away from your struggle and your anxiety and that negative voice to step into meaning, fulfillment, connection, and happiness in your life. And I will say what my mother said to me after every phone conversation. Now she's gone and this touches my heart. It's gone, Bate. Keep your chin up and keep going. And I also want to give your listeners a gift. Since you talked about my book, if you go to my website, dannitroclark.net, 
I'm giving this my number one best-selling book, F Dying, away for free. I love that. So if you go there, you can just go down and you can go there. You hit something, you put in your email, and you could download a PDF of it for free and read it. Because the number one thing that's important to me is that I know this book is transformational. I know it's helped a lot of lot a lot of people uh, find happiness in their again in their life, find meaning, find fulfillment. And I just want to put it out into the world. And then please share it with your friends. And Sarah, I make you this challenge. I, the next email that you send out, I would love for you to send an email out about the book. You said you enjoyed the book. I that, love the book. And, and you love the book. I and did. I, you said you love the book. And what I'd love for you to do is the next email you send out to your group, to your many, many followers that you've helped uh, you know, transform, change your life, give them amazing information. I would love for you to include a link where they can download that book for free as well. Will you do that for me? Uh, we will do that, and we will have it with the podcast. It will be on the page, so when we promote that, we will be promoting this book. And I did. I read the book, as you could tell and as you know. And before we started broadcasting, I said to you that I told my producer that he needed to read the book. It's really it's great. It's, it, it's approachable. Right. It's just human. So it's great. Dan Nitro Clark, you're awesome. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, sir. I'm talking to Dan Clark, best known as American gladiator Nitro and one of the toughest guys in America. And then he had a heart attack at age 49 and he had to bounce back. Dan's work to help people be their best and get the most from their lives is central to what the thousands of experts featured in our twice monthly newsletter, Bottom Line Personal, do every day. Bottom Line Personal is filled with actionable advice on all aspects of your life, including living a healthy life, facing life's challenges, traveling safer and cheaper, finding the best insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and even travel to little known destinations. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP.